I was really wrestling with this message because uh, we always talk about fellowship. Maybe we think we know what fellowship is, and if we are involved with it, then we're okay. But I guess hopefully today we'll see it in a, in a different light. The passage I'm speaking from is 1 John chapter 1, and uh, we're looking at verses 5 to 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, and this is how it reads in the English Standard Version. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, then we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There are about 7,800,000,000 people in the world today, according to the U.S. Census. Uh, there are about 2.382 billion Christians in the world. Christianity still remains the uh, most populated religion in the world. Second, Islam uh, is gaining a great deal uh, with people. Do you realize that all over the world that there are about 45,000 denominational expressions in the world today? 45,000 different denominations throughout the world today. I think division is alive and well uh, in the body of Christ, I guess. It's an oxymoron, but that's where it's at today. There are Christians on every continent. Uh, Christianity, however, was not always disrenowned. After 300 years of persecution, Christianity was made a legal religion by the Edict of Milan in 313 AD, and it has come a long way, yet is our modern expression of Christianity an accurate depiction of the body of Christ as it was 2,000 years ago? And we do have to wrestle with the question, should it be our goal to depict the early church today? Should it be a goal for us to look like the early church today? There was a study series that came out some time ago on the history of the early church and asked the question, when you think of the term church, what do you think of? Do you think of a building with stained glass windows, a pulpit, a Bible, a hymn book, the sacraments of communion or baptism, clergy or clergy vestments, musical instruments, symbols of the cross, Sunday school denominations, Sunday morning worship, what do you think of when you hear the term the early church? Hopefully we'll see today that the early church was very 
are much different from what, what many consider church or the body of Christ to be today. Maybe to our dismay and also maybe to our encouragement. There, they were a truly fellowshipping body of believers uh, who were not perfect like many churches today. If you read the epistles of Paul, you'll see that they were written to provide truth and to correct error in the atmosphere of, an, of imperfection. With mistakes, with people with characteristic flaws. With all of our mess that we exist, the church still exists to glorify Christ, to know Christ, and to make Christ known to others. And this can be accomplished, I believe one of the ways, is through intentional and purposeful community. Fellowship is another word for community. And I think that the early church was active in fellowship. It was where their vertical and horizontal lives met. The early church was active in fellowship, and it was where their vertical and horizontal lives met. So what do I mean by a vertical life or a horizontal life? Simply that our vertical life is that which deals with our relationship with God. It's our true north. Our horizontal life is that which deals with our relationship with our family in Christ and our effect on the world. Therefore, fellowship is that aspect of the church body where our vertical lives and our horizontal lives meet. You know, in the late first century, the disciple known as the beloved disciple of Jesus is writing to a segment of believers that were surrounded by a group of false teachers known as docetists. They practiced what was known as docetism. Jesus' incarnation uh, was questioned by them. Docetism was the heretical teaching that Jesus, the one on the cross, was really not the Son of God. He just seemed to be. He was an illusion. His human form was not real. Uh, Jesus' incarnation or him becoming human was in question. They believed that the one died was purely human, but the one that rose again was another Jesus, which is why John opens in verses 1 to 4, in the beginning, that which we have heard and seen and touched deals specifically with how the church was involved with this real person of Jesus Christ. They saw him. They heard him. They touched him. Yes, he was human, but yes, he was the son of God. They believed that Jesus, as we know him from the scriptures, seemed to be equal with God, but was really human. And the writer of the gospel that bears his name, uh, the writer of the book of Revelation, and the writer of the three letters or epistles, is now writing to set his audience straight. It could be why John speaks of the spirit of the Antichrist or testing of the spirits in this same letter. I hope you take the time this afternoon, uh, after you awake after the sermon, to go home and read uh, the, the chapters of 1 John to see uh, how this idea 
then gets teased out in the passage and in the letter. Those who uh, believed in docetism did not have a problem calling themselves Christians while at the same time living and walking in darkness, but call themselves children of light. In either case, you see that these believers, what these believers were facing. In short, John was teaching these Christians to allow their vertical lives with God to be enmeshed with their horizontal lives with their brothers and sisters in Christ, impacting the world. Please forgive me, I need to hold these notes closer. I'm getting older and my eyes are fainting and fainting. So how does this occur? What does this say to us today, to us 21st century Western mindset believers in Jesus? What can John's letter teach us about cultivating intentional, purposeful community? How do our vertical lives affect our horizontal lives in the body of Christ? I think, first of all, we have to realize that our vertical lives are evidenced by our confession of who God is. Our vertical lives are evidenced by our confession of who God is. You know, if someone messes with the teaching of God, becoming man in the person of Jesus, the gospel message's power is threatened. But if death could not hold Jesus down in the grave, neither will false teaching keep who he really is to be out in the forefront and in the world and in the nations. Lies and deceit won't hide who Jesus really is. The basic Christian message about God is that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Unlike any so-called God that many worship, he transcends the darkness. Jesus said that he was the light of the world and those who walked in him would not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. As the Messiah, Jesus was the hope of the world, the light of the world. He also said that we were his luminaries or stars. In Matthew 5, 14, he says, we are the light of the world and that we shine off of Christ as the stars shine off the sun. This light of God also describes his holiness. God is not affected by darkness as it affects us. It If darkness is ever related to God, it is when the Bible tries to describe the mystery of God and the fact that we cannot fully comprehend this character and nature of being. Darkness does not and cannot change God. But remember that this is also a creation truth. Genesis 1, 1 to 5 reminds us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And what was the first thing that God did in that situation? God said, let there be just a little bit of light. Let there be some fluorescent light turned on so that way we have something to work with. No, he says, let there be light. And there was light. Light before the sun was created. 
And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. From the beginning of creation, God made sure to distinguish the light from the darkness. And he says here, John does, so should we. If you live in the light, you can't live in darkness, he says. Before there was a sun, there was darkness, and God wanted to provide light to the darkness. Light cannot exist in darkness and vice versa. Yet Jesus Christ came and describes the Father by being God himself. God's holiness is his and is to be ours. Therefore, what we say about God must be seen in our lives. I want you to notice the conditional clauses that John states, not just here, but also in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Note verse 6 when he says, if we say. What we say is to match the message given to the apostles of Christ like John. What we say. What we confess is to be followed by the correct action. What we believe about God and his son, Jesus Christ, will be lived out in our vertical lives. And notice the contrast. There's a tension in this passage about light not being equal to darkness and truth not being equal to deceit. If we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and walk in darkness We're not telling or confessing the truth. We are lying and not practicing the truth. Confession means to admit to guilt. The truth of the gospel is that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus has so much to say about this in a different venue. Remember when he talked about how trees are known by the fruit they bear. James, his brother, reminds us in, this, in his letter that when it comes to the tongue, that a fountain cannot give fresh water and salt water at the same time, nor can a fig tree produce olives. So in natural, in natural progression, John then equates our fellowship with God to that of our fellowship with the church family, the body of Christ. So fellowship begins, our vertical lives shows what we think and know and confess who God is. The second thing I think here is that our walk in Christ describes our walk with one another. Our walk with Christ describes and includes our walk with one another in verse 7. Note again another conditional clause. Excuse me. Starting with if. Anytime a passage begins with if, you better pay attention. There's a contrast that's going to come, and it's conditional. He says, if we walk in God, in the light, in fellowship with God and his son, then we have fellowship with one another. I want to give you a made-up definition of fellowship. Uh, I don't do this all the time, but once in a while you get to play around with words, I think. However, the original meaning of the word fellowship in the original language is the sharing of physical, spiritual, financial, and emotional goods with our family, our Christian family, 
with the end result of the church, the body life of Christ, being united. And the end result is the glorification of Jesus Christ. Let me say that a little more simply because I think uh, you guys are giving me a, a really strange look at this time. <laughs> Fellowship is the sharing of physical, spiritual, financial, and emotional goods with our family of Christ. With the end result of the church being united and glorifying Jesus Christ. What makes us family in Christ? Is it our church name or denomination? Is it our church building? Is it our traditions? What makes us the family in Christ is the blood of Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. As I worked on this message, it really hit me like a ton of bricks in that. When John says this in this verse, and he talks about the blood of Jesus Christ, he's talking about the human person Jesus who bled on the cross because he was human. But his blood was not anybody's blood. It was the blood of the Son of God who was only able to pay for the sins of the world. His blood is no ordinary blood because it satisfied God's condition for forgiveness. Therefore, exposing the lie of docetism. It is a double blessing. Our fellowship with God has broken down the barrier we have with God. And our fellowship with Christ breaks down the barriers we may have with one another. Do you realize that we have family members of faith that are of different cultures, languages, and geographical locations? We have that here in this church. I have a Nigerian brother. Uh, I have Italian sisters here. Uh, you have a Puerto Rican brother here. Uh, I had the privilege of going to Mexico to teach for two weeks. They didn't know me from Adam. However, because they were children of God, we just blended together. It wasn't just the language. It was the fact that we were washed by the blood of Christ. And I hope you get that picture today in, the, in terms of fellowship. We may all be shapes and sizes, different nations and different worlds and different countries, different backgrounds. But what binds us is the blood of Christ. His blood was the only blood that was able to make things right between us and God. All because we have fellowship with God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood has joined us together and his Holy Spirit indwells us until the day of Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say that if we say we have no sin, then once again, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The followers of docetism believed that they had no sin. They were deceived and were found to be liars. If we are in sin, we are to confess the truth of it, and we will be forgiven in fellowship with the Father and the Son and with the body of Christ. So I want to just close with this last point, and that is this. 
do these lives cross today? Do our vertical lives and our horizontal lives cross today? Churches are, very, are usually very good about eating together. We call this fellowship. In the years of ministry, I've never been to a really bad potluck. <laughs> I have always, nowhere to, if I was in the Midwest, if I was down in Long Island, if I was in New Jersey, I'd never been to a bad potluck, ever. But that's not the only thing about fellowship. Though I love that part of fellowship. My question is, how are our relationships with one another? Are they a mile wide with six inches deep? Another question is, does our fellowship include the joining of our vertical lives with our horizontal lives? It is only natural to care a lot about our vertical relationship with God, and I think that needs to be primal in our lives. But what about our horizontal relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ? My heart still aches even today that COVID nearly disrupted this completely in the church. We still see this uh, across our nation. The fact that many of us today are, are worshiping without a mask uh, just shows how much the impact that COVID had upon our nation. That it's strange to be without a mask. Uh, I have trouble speaking now. Can you imagine me speaking with a mask on today? So I want to encourage us today to come out from quarantine and let our vertical lives cross with our horizontal lives here at Lakeview Community Church once again. Praise the Lord that our churches are opening up and that the hope of Christ is still being wrung, wrung out into this nation, that people are still hearing the message that Jesus still saves today, that Jesus still changes lives today, that he, though he was a man who walked on this earth, uh, he was still the God-man who was 100% man and 100% God. Some of us are hungry for God's word but are spiritually deficient when it comes to caring and communing with our family in Christ. We just tolerate one another. Just settling to worship virtually or not worshiping at all together. Sometimes my heart breaks when I think about the body of Christ. Uh, I can't tell you, I can't go into the whole detail about a story about a man that I visited once uh, who uh, before, he, before his death uh, told me that his pastor couldn't tell him anything about God. He didn't have the time to tell him. And that man died without Christ. He was very proud that he was going to die as an atheist. But what's sad is that in regards to this lack of interaction, Chuck Swindoll once said that the church is the only army he knows where the soldiers shoot their own wounded. Another question when you come to church, are there people you really can't stand to be around? I have to tell you the truth, yes, right? Own up to it. But that person the Lord Jesus Christ died for, 
And the precious blood of Christ washes their sin away. And his love for them was the same love he had for me. And so today, as we, forgive me with this here. The kind of love he has for them, and we can't stand them. However, that blood is still for us today. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his disciples by the name of the church we, we have, right? The large building, the programs we offer, the expensive TV ads, the pastor of the church. No, he says the world will know us by the love we have for one another. If you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it is tattooed with the topic of God's love for us and for one another. We will also be known as followers of Christ by how we walk in the light of Christ and how we walk in the light with one another. There is a challenge that stands before the church of the 21st century, therefore, this church. And this challenge is multidimensional. The church needs to be relevant to its culture. Yes, this is a given, but the church needs to deal with the division within itself. Some things to be aware of about churches that there is some, this, there is some form of division in every church. But please listen to me closely, and this really hit me in my time of study. That if Satan can divide a church, he can threaten the local church's impact in its community. If Satan can divide a church, he can threaten the local church's impact in the community. Many people get their feelings hurt in churches, and many people go about hurting others' feelings on purpose. But sadly, uh, many churches label themselves as friendly, are friendly with just themselves and not with guests or uh, outsiders. Many churches don't know how to have fellowship with one another, one another much less with those outside. But that is one of the reasons why I believe that the right of Hebrews commands us to not forsake the assembly with the body. In Hebrews 10, a picture of how the vertical life and horizontal life converge. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Folks, Jesus Christ is coming soon and he's looking for a united church. He's looking for a church that is ready to go with him at the moment's notice and who are united for his glory. So I want to conclude by encouraging us all to let us strive for purposeful, intentional fellowship. Churches that are involved in intentional, purposeful fellowship and community, I think, possess the following characteristics. This isn't an exhaustive list, but I think I've seen over the years that, uh, that churches involved in intentional, purposeful fellowship uh, they may not always get along or agree, but they still love and seek the best for one another. They're, everybody has each other's back. We 
We don't have time to talk about the mistakes I've done in my life. I would like to hear yours as well. But I can't think of the times of men uh, gathering around me and speaking life into my life because they chose to be the body of Christ regardless of the dumb mistakes, regardless of the things that uh, I did in those times, that men were willing to pour their lives into mine and to tell me that although we didn't get along or agree, they still love and sought the best for me. And I am to do that with you. Churches involved with intentional, purposeful fellowship always seek to please the Lord with their relationship and in all aspects. They apply the grace of God even on those we deem not to deserve it. We call these folks extra grace folks. They realize that they, don't, they can't do with or without each other. They hurt with those who hurt and celebrate with those who celebrate. They surrender to the Holy Spirit's empowerment uh, they, uh, they uh, apply the scriptures and perform the, uh, that pertain to the one another passages. They are not bound by hate, bitterness, or division by the perfect love, but by the lo perfect love of Jesus Christ. United, the church is a powerful force used by God's Holy Spirit to spread the great news of Jesus Christ. So I pray for all of us here today that we be encouraged to have healthy relationships in an intentional, purposeful community where both our vertical lives and our horizontal lives meet. The early church made sure to define themselves as believing and living, following the true Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Their vertical lives intersected with their horizontal lives, even though they were always not successful. So how can we make the dissecting lives of horizontal lives and vertical lives more pronounced? Live in truth and not deceit. Live in the light and not in darkness. And preach the whole Christ to the whole nation. The world can't live without that truth. And the church cannot exist if we don't preach the whole Christ. And so thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. And uh, I pray that God will continue to bless Lakeview and what God is doing in the community and how God is blessing in many different ways. Can I pray for you today?